0: Radio Gag, the Gaze Against Guns Show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gaze Against Guns Show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Kathy Marino Thomas,
1: and I'm Mark Bloomberg. This is my very first time co-hosting Radio Gag. During this week's show, we're going to talk about coronavirus and suicide by gun.
0: Welcome, Mark. First, we have the latest in gun violence prevention news. We've been worried, as everyone is, about the COVID-19 virus outbreak and what it's done to all of our lives. Gays Against Guns will bring you interviews with our elected officials each week to check in and see how things are going in the various districts. This week, we hear from Assemblymember Joanne Simon. Hi, Joanne, how are you today?
2: I'm great, Kathy. How are you? Nice to
0: see oh, you. Good, well. thank you. Thank you so much. So, uh, assembly Member, can you please tell our listeners what district you're in and what area it is?
2: Well, I represent uh, the 52nd Assembly District, which is pretty much uh, a lot of the Brownstone Belt, right? We, um, I have Vinegar Hill and Dumbo and sweep down the water through Brooklyn Heights, Carroll Gardens, Cobble Hill, Across Gowanus, I have about two thirds of Park Slope, a little bit of Prospect Heights, all of downtown Brooklyn, and Boreham Hill.
0: So tell me, what's going on in those areas during this pandemic? How are people faring?
2: Well, on the whole, um, I would say there are the the two big issues that we hear about on a constant basis. Both our phone calls as well as the email traffic is unemployment, the inability for people to get unemployment benefits for them to get through, the numbers of people who are not eligible for some of these benefits. Uh, The other big issue is rent. uh, And that goes to both the small businesses who can't afford to pay the rents in the stores that are now closed they have astronomical rents in this district, which is so wonderful to live in, um, which has changed a lot since I moved, as you may recall. Uh, you know, the, the rents are just, uh, uh, you know, as I said, astronomical. And um, commercial uh, landlords are not as forgiving, let's say, as some of the residential um, uh, landlords are. And people who are have um, uh, rent-stabilized housing are in a better position relative to that. But everybody's worried. Everybody's afraid they can't pay their rent. Uh, people And many people have not paid their rent they're concerned about eviction once that moratorium is over so really it's just very hard for government to find a way to respond because we don't know whether the June date will in fact be the date at which the moratorium will be over whether the governor would extend that um, but there are many um, landlords in my district you know people bought a house And the basis upon which they could buy that house was that part of their mortgage or their mortgage would be paid by the tenant. Because if you have one unit or two units, that's how you could afford to buy a house. So it's just um, the consequences of these various things really need to be looked at very carefully. And it's something that um, we're all talking about and all trying to find ways that we can help our small businesses and our our, uh, our tenants. The other thing is that, you know, we all know that the nursing home situation has been problematic. Um, yes. And that yes. has been for a variety of reasons, not just um, what you're reading about in the news, but real a real lack of um, of equipment and they don't have any testing so they're all all uh, well reporting to the extent that they're reporting um, their presumed deaths because they have no no testing um, yeah, the testing is don't the thing, right right. right exactly yeah. so it's a very vulnerable population and they just don't have the support that they've needed
1: yeah, Assemblywoman, going back to, uh, one of the points that, that you made regarding being able to pay rent on time and the financial hardship and, you know, research on suicide in the past has indicated that in tough financial times, you typically see a, a, a spike in suicides. Just curious at this point, if you're familiar with any calls in your district or more specifically an actual uptick in suicides or, or domestic violence.
2: Uh, I'm not aware of any particular data to support that, although I uh, share your concern about it. One issue, of course, is the uh, lack of reporting of domestic violence uh, claims, because people are, let's face it, a lot of people have difficulty making those, those calls. Now they can't go anywhere. Um, people are more dependent on each other. They're home. Uh, they're afraid. Uh, uh, Recently, uh, there was a report about texting to 911, which has been a big issue in the deaf community for many years. But texting to 911 is also a way that people who are in danger from domestic uh, violence can also text to 911, because they may not be able to pick up the phone, they may need to do it privately and quietly so that the abusive uh, partner or the abusive member of the household, for example, is not on to the fact that they've called 911. Um, and so that's something that, you know, we're trying to advocate for with the city. It's really a city issue whether they can implement that.
0: That's very curious that the level of reporting has gone down Um, Not a statistic that I had in my mind. It's a curious way to look at the uptick in domestic violence. There likely is an uptick. And what it is, is intimidation is what you're saying.
2: Intimidation. And also, if you're going to leave the household, let's say you would be ready to leave the household, you don't want to go to a shelter. Right. Right. Much harder for people to feel confident going to any kind of congregate setting. So whether it is, um, you know, a shelter specifically for, for women who are victims of domestic violence or just a regular city shelter, people are not wanting to go to those environments. Um, they are more likely to, to hide that. So we've been trying to make people know more about this, spread the word that there are ways that they can address these issues and, and try and be supportive of people. But we have not heard you know, specific uh, incidences here, but everybody in the, in the industry suspects that, in fact, uh, the downturn in reporting um, is, is because people are fearful, people are stuck at home, the likelihood of domestic violence will increase with people in the household who normally weren't in the household during the day, all day. And that's a big concern. It's also a concern obviously among the people who, who are uh, working with children who are victims of, of abuse. That the mandatory reporters like the school nurses and the teachers, they're not seeing these adults. Right. That's, right. So That's right. People are not picking it up. The neighbors aren't picking it up if they see, let's say, the woman out and about um, covering up uh, you know, signs of abuse.
0: So I want our listeners to know what an advocate you are for gun safety. Can you just give us a little recap on the bills you successfully worked on and what you might have coming up in the future for us to look out for and support you in?
2: Well, thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. Um, Well, I have, uh, number one, I um, early on uh, really started advocating for a gun violence uh, prevention research research institute. And um, while uh, we didn't pass that as a separate bill, last year it was in the budget, Uh, was in the one house twice, but wasn't going anywhere with the change in leadership in the Senate. uh, It was in the budget last year and it was funded. Um, congratulations thank you thank you it was funded not as much as it should be and i had dreams of funding this year and of course that all went by the wayside (laughs) but it it does exist it's it's in the law and it does have uh, a small amount of money so that we can get uh, that ball rolling so that new york can help doing gun violence research and as you know there are bits and pieces of people doing this um, in different institutions around the state uh, this is a way of kind of bringing that all together because it's a multidisciplinary uh effort as well as you let's can note,
0: let's note for our listeners that there's absolutely no federal support for gun violence research
2: that's basically true yes the other thing we've done of course is pass erpo which you're familiar with which is the yes. the red flag law in new york state um, so i was very pleased to sponsor that legislation Another thing that Senator Prasad and I just did this past uh, year, we had had a bill uh, that was A9938, which would mandate that district attorneys report domestic violence convictions to the State Division of Criminal Justice Services. Apparently, uh, when the SAFE Act was done, it was discretionary. And what happened is um, not many uh, counties actually reported to DCJS. And once that gets reported, then uh, DCJS is mandated to turn those convictions over to the FBI for inclusion in the NICS database. Right. So this would preclude somebody from going to Pennsylvania and buying a gun because they would have that conviction and it, it would be checked through their background check. 12 counties in New York didn't report any convictions since 2011, which is really quite astounding. So there's been a significant underreporting and there's been a real lack of reporting. So now we were able to get that change to mandate that the DAs have to report this to DCJS within three days. So when there's a domestic violence conviction with a gun, they have to report it within three days to DCJS, who will then send that on to the FBI for the next year. That's fantastic. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thank you. We're we're very pleased to see that that got included in the budget.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well,
2: thank you for having me. It's great to see your smiling face again (laughs) and and yours, Mark, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you in person soon. Each week at this time,
0: we remember and honor a person whose life was taken as a result of gun violence. Today, we're honoring Cheryl Schreifer.
1: In early April, a 54-year-old Illinois man shot and killed his wife after he reportedly feared they had contracted the coronavirus. According to the Will County Sheriff's Office, deputies discovered the bodies of 54-year-old Patrick Jessernick and 59-year-old Cheryl Schreifer inside a residence in Lockport Township after responding to a welfare check. Police said they were contacted by Jessernick's parents, who requested the check because they had not heard from him. According to family members, Jessernick had been scared that he and Schreifer had contracted COVID-19 and that Schreifer, his wife, reportedly was having a hard time breathing. An autopsy later revealed that both Jessernick and Schreifer died of gunshot wounds to the head. The autopsy also found both tested negative for COVID-19. Will County authorities have said the vast majority of calls since the coronavirus pandemic began have involved domestic disputes and crisis interventions.
0: There was an article in the HuffPost discussing that at the end of March, early April, there were 19 murder suicides, double the amount that typically occur on a biweekly basis. That's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it really is. And unfortunately, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a trend that we continue to see as the pandemic continues.
0: Well, you know, it doesn't surprise me, though, when people are all locked in together and in some cases locked in with someone who maybe gets some crazy idea in their head. I had an interesting conversation with Igor Volsky. He's the director of Guns Down. It's a grassroots gun violence prevention entity and a comrade of Gays Against Guns. We chatted about gun violence prevention, the COVID-19 pandemic and its effect on gun ownership and gun violence. Let's hear what Igor had to say. This is Kathy Marino-Thomas of Gays Against Guns. I'm joined here today by Igor Volsky, who is the Executive Director of Guns Down. Hi, Igor. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. In this time of pandemic, I'd like to talk to you about gun sales. What have you seen? Is there an uptick in gun sales during this coronavirus epidemic? Yeah, we've really seen in the month of March,
3: as uh, policymakers across the country announced states of emergency, uh, long lines at gun stores, which translated to about over a million guns sold in March of 2020. That's a million more than were sold in March of 2019. Um, It's a huge uptick. uh, And a lot of these buyers are actually first-time gun owners. So they've never really trained on how to use a gun,
0: they've never trained on how to store a gun. That's a very scary statistic. So where do you think these what do you think the outcome of all these gun sales will be once the uh, epidemic passes? I don't want to get into a debate on why people buy guns during an epidemic. That's like a whole nother show. But where do we think these guns will end up? What, what do we see as a future for this? Well, it's it's really worrisome uh because we're already seeing
3: stories of folks using guns to kill themselves uh, to kill their loved ones. Um, This is fairly common uh, during uh, periods of economic depression. You see spikes in suicide. You see spikes in domestic violence. I think that will continue and maybe even accelerate because of all of these extra guns. And of course, once the pandemic is over, the guns that folks are buying today are going to end up on our streets, are going to end up in our schools, are going to end up in our places of worship, uh, and really be the instruments used
0: in the mass shootings of the future. And that's incredibly scary. That is scary. Um, and I hate, to see, <laughs> I hate to see what our future holds as far as that goes. But mm-hmm. let's talk a li- for a moment about Guns Down, your organization. What's the focus? What's the thing that you guys do best
3: Well, uh, I founded Guns Down America after uh, the Pulse shooting in in 2016. And what we do is we push corporations to lean into gun reform in a serious way. So we got Walmart to walk away from a large chunk of their gun sales um, in September of 2019. Uh, We have a banking campaign running that pushes banks to stop doing business. With the gun industry. Um, But of course, you know, in these weeks and months, we are very focused on the coronavirus gun surge. And I uh, hope uh, everyone goes to gunsdownamerica.org and learns how they can plug in uh, to dissuade their neighbors from buying guns. Because at this moment, we need to help our neighbors. We need to love our neighbors. We can't fear our neighbors.
0: That was going to be my other question. What can people do and how can they get involved? So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for talking with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show, here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free radio, WBAI. We are here every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m., bringing you the latest from the gun violence prevention movement. And tonight's show is about coronavirus, gun sales, and online activism. We're recording from our homes, safely social distancing.
0: Having a gun in the home increases the likelihood of accidental injury, homicide, and suicide.
1: Yeah, um, and just going off of what Igor was talking about with the increase in uptick in sales. So there's so many more guns in the house right now that people have. And people who haven't received training They haven't necessarily bought locks for the guns, which, you know, you could say, you know, if they have a gun, whether there's a lock on it or not, they, you know, they could still be tempted to use it on themselves. But that doesn't think about other family members that are in the house as well.
0: Right. And we have a ton of, you know, untrained folks running out to buy guns in a panic, being raised by the NRA, who's, who's, you know, Uh, creating all kinds of crazy around the possibility of looting and home invasions. In the meantime, there haven't been any reports of any such thing.
1: Yeah, and there was actually, um, there was a study that was done during the SARS epidemic. Um, You know, you could argue very similar to what's going on here, where overseas they saw the increase occur in suicide significantly. It was more amongst older people, 60 and over, but even those um, in their mid-50s as well, they just saw this spike. Uh, They they correlated directly to the pandemic, and so I don't see why this would be any different. It
0: kind of makes sense, though, right, because people are disconnected, and if they they did have some issue with depression before they were disconnected and isolated, that would probably get worse. I mean, I guess this is the place where red flag laws may come in handy because... uh, they would allow someone to report a person who may be in danger of harming themselves or others, and the possibility of having that gun removed from the home is, is a good thing to have at our
1: disposal. Yeah, it, def- it definitely does, and that points to another study that was done, this was six or seven years ago, when there were only uh, a handful of states that had the uh, red flag uh, ERPO laws, where they showed that the states that had those ERPO laws in place had a reduction in overall suicides, which is you know useful. It's a tool that that folks have. It's not a let's take guns away from everyone. Take them away from people who are at risk to themselves or potentially others.
0: And I think that that's an important fact to bring out around these red flag laws. They're not for pointing at people and saying take his gun, take her gun, take their gun. It's about a real-time struggle and a real-time danger to someone, giving someone a tool to use to protect themselves. Um, Also, you know, because suicides are so increased during this time of isolation, I think it's really important to let our listeners know that they can reach out for help anytime they they need it. They can call 311. They can visit the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org um reach out if you need help don't stay isolated
1: yeah a lot of people don't want to reach out typically when when they're having mental health health issues and you know now with just how everything is amplified um, it's
0: also interesting to note the uh the uh, comment that uh assembly member simon made about domestic violence uh being reported actually less during the pandemic and the and. and It's interesting because it didn't give her a level of comfort that uh, these calls were less. It gave her pause and concern that folks were stuck in their homes with their abuser and weren't calling. So uh, please, folks, listen um, to the the tools at your disposal if you find yourself in danger. You can text to 311 as well. You can text your assembly member or your, your legislator. Um, and they will they will respond and they will help you. Um, you've been listening to Radio Gag, the Gaze Against Guns show.
1: To find out more about becoming a member of Gag, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter.
0: You're also welcome to join us at our meetings that are now taking place via Zoom.
1: Don't we have the meeting coming up, Kathy?
0: Yes, we do, Mark. This Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll be online. I'm excited that we're doing our meetings online. Now gaggers from all across the country can participate.
1: Yeah, it's just so great to see everybody's faces. Um, So, yeah, we encourage people to join us. And for more information about how to attend this week's Gag Online meeting, check us out on social media.
0: And as always, we'll be planning actions and demonstrations, which we are also doing online. So please join us. Everybody is welcome. And now it's time to finish the show with our with our hell yes where we celebrate some of our favorite sheroes and Heroes of the Week. And I've got a and I'm sure Mark you've got a good one.
1: Yeah, well let's start off a hell yeah to Mary Ellen Novak, fellow GAG member, GAG radio host, and just an extraordinary person who celebrated her birthday yesterday.
0: Hell yeah! Yeah. And happy birthday, Mary Ellen. Hell yeah to our guests, Assemblywoman Joanne Simon and Igor Volsky for joining us and for all of the amazing work that they do for gun violence prevention. Hell yeah! Hell yeah!
2: yeah.
1: And hell yeah to our healthcare workers who are simultaneously fighting the COVID-19 pandemic and the gun violence healthcare crisis.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Eastern.
1: And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform.
0: We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Enjoy, everyone. Stay home, stay safe. Remember, if you need help... Call 311. Call your legislator. Go to the suicide prevention hotlines. If you think someone needs help, don't be afraid to have those conversations. Greet them. Have the conversation. Reach out to help. Good night.
4: You fantasize. You're lionized. And revise your crowd size. Can't believe your own eyes, you have to rationalize. Not a word you say is true. From your border wall to your perfect calm, you keep on lying all day long. Lying, always wrong. Go on. Say fake news, the truth is used to your abuse. You just keep lying, 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 lying. It's hard to understand. Are they that dumb in Maga Soon they'll be dying. Corona came, you take no blame, and have no shame, no shame. You are just standing by, while the thousands die, but Donnie, this is no game. Through this tragedy, you will always be. Lying, same old song, lying, you're always wrong, but soon you'll be gone, till then we'll carry on, while you keep lying, lying, lying. Lying, yeah, lying, <laughs> lying, well,